Uh, you may be seated. The scripture today comes from Mark 14, 43 to 65. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, This one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to them, Have you ever have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. A certain young man who was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, they caught hold of him. But he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. Then they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them, them condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to, um, to blindfold him and to strike him saying to him, prophecy, prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. This is the word of the Lord. If you will, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, that the word speaks to and of. We thank you for your spirit that allows us to hear the word and to receive its truth and to believe and to be transformed by it. We thank you for this community, this family, where we can together work out the difficulties of the word and of life together. And God, I do pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been walking through Mark and we are very much near the end. Uh, we have actually, not including today, we only have two more times that we're going to be in Mark. One is Good Friday, when we'll look at the crucifixion of Jesus and then on Resurrection Sunday, when we look at Christ's resurrection. So we are very much nearing the end of the 
uh, earthly ministry of Jesus. And this story that we see, uh, it's, it's the culmination of what's been happening for the last several chapters in Mark, but I think it's best summed up by John's gospel. And so I'm going to read to you really quickly from John chapter 1. And this is what it says. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Think about that for a second. (laughs) Jesus, who is God, the author of creation, was in the world. He came in flesh. That's how Mark starts. That's how the, all, every other gospel except for John starts with the birth story. John gives you the theological reality of the birth of Christ. He came into the world. The God who created by his very word all that is came into the world. And the world did not recognize him. They saw his works, they heard his word, they heard of his goodness, of his mercy, of his healing, of his miracles, and they didn't recognize it. But then it gets even worse. It says, he came to his own, to the very ones who should have seen him and known him and recognized him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But then John goes on and says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. And so as we start this, I want us to see that there are two postures that we can take towards Jesus. And as we finish up Mark, there are two postures that you can take towards Jesus. You can see him for who he is, believe in him for what he's done, and receive him as who he says he is. Or you can reject him. Like both of those are plausible positions, actions to what the testimony is that we've seen and received. And and the thing is that John says when Jesus comes into his own, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. And what we get here is the story of Jesus being rejected again and again again and I want us to see the different layers and levels in which Jesus is rejected so if you were here last week we talked about how very human Jesus was right Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane has a panic attack he's full of fear and anxiety and trouble he wants his friends near him he can't stand he can't figure it out he falls down on his face he prays God this, this cup, I don't want it. Take it away from me. Like the language is very much that Jesus is overwhelmed by sudden and deep personal fear. He has a panic attack. And he prays in the midst of it and God ministers to him. And now we see Jesus is very human because in the time where it feels like people should be on his side, they're just not. 
So think about this story. He, he finishes praying. He wakes up, he wakes up uh, Peter, James, and John. And he says, all right, you fell asleep again. It's fine. My betrayer is coming. And enter Judas. And Judas comes up to Jesus, and he's with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious rulers. And he says, all right, I'm going to show you who the one is that you want. I'm going to show you who Jesus is because it's a bunch of Galilean men. And to somebody from Jerusalem, maybe they, they share similar features and traits. And it's night, and it's not as immediately evident who Jesus is. And they only want Jesus. And so Judas comes, and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And with that kiss... The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious rulers know who they want, who they're going to get. And they go and they arrest Jesus. And so we get the story in Luke, right, of Peter cutting off the guard's ear. Here, he doesn't say it's Peter. Mark doesn't tell us who. He just said one of the ones with Jesus drew his sword, drew his knife, cut off one of the guard's ears. And he sort of moves on. But Jesus has this amazing moment where he confronts them on their cowardice. And he says to them, <clears throat> Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was with you. I was in your midst teaching. You knew who I was there. You saw me doing these things. I was right there. Just a few days ago, I rode in on a donkey. And the whole city shut down. I was right there. But you come now under cover of darkness. He's calling out their cowardice. But how did they know? How did they know where he would be? How did they know when was the right time? How did they know? He was rejected and betrayed by Judas. And what I want to do, because we're going to see three and really four layers of of rejection that Jesus experiences. I want to which eat with each one stop and maybe just psychoanalyze a little bit the rejector. Like this is hard because I, I recognize, I admit, there's a measure of speculation here, right? But for a second, let's ask, why did Judas reject and betray Jesus? What was it? Now, there's an easy answer that we can go to Right? The scriptures, uh, the, Mark says, and the scriptures say, it was so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Right? Like, and that's a pretty easy answer. Why? Because that was the will of God. And we can get caught up in this talk, in this conversation, which we do from time to time about the sovereignty of God and the choice of God and the providence of God and how his word must be fulfilled. Right? And so there is a sense in which these things happen simply because God had determined that they would. But there's another very real sense in which Judas made a choice. Judas walked with Jesus for somewhere between three and five years. He learned from Jesus. He saw people get healed. He saw people be fed. He saw demons cast out. He saw in indescribable, undeniable, amazing kingdom of God stuff happen. And yet, and yet, in the end, he still betrays Jesus. 
And here's what I want us to see about Judas. I, I think this is speculation to a degree, but I think when you read and you remember Judas in the context of the story, you begin to see it. Here's what Judas expected Jesus to be a different type of Messiah than Jesus was. So let me give you the story to me that, that fulfills the faith. It's the story that throws Judas over the edge. It's, it's, the, it's the straw that breaks Judas back, so to speak. And it's the story of Mary, the story in Mark of the woman who has the jar full of expensive ointment. Ointment that, if sold, would provide a year's worth of wages and that could be used to do so much good for the poor. Think about that. Remember when we talked about that, we said that that impulse is not wrong. The impulse to say that we could sell this ointment, we could sell this fragrance, we could have a year's salary, and you fed 10,000, think about who we could feed with, with this. Isn't this who you are? If you read the other Gospels, Jesus was, or Judas was always around the money. He was always concerned with the way that the finances were stewarded, with the ways that the finances were used. Judas understood that if Jesus is going to be a Messiah that's going to lead this new revolution and flip the kingdom completely on its head, then money and, and, and economic structures uh, and, and the powers that go along with it are critical to that. And when Judas sees that Jesus is about the poor, but not about Judas's agenda, he can't deal with it. And at that moment, he leaves and he conspires to betray Jesus. And what's at the center of Judas's betrayal? Money. Money. You see, Judas sees what he wants Jesus to be. Jesus is not the Messiah, is not the king that Judas wants. And so Judas says, all right, I'm done. See, there's a type of rejection of Jesus that comes when he is not the king that we want. It makes me think of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? When... The kids are talking about Aslan uh, with the beavers. And that's when they find out that Aslan is a lion. And they're like, a lion? What do they ask? A reasonable answer, a question. Is he safe? Is he safe? And what's the response? No. He's not safe. He's a lion. <laughs> of course he's not safe. But he is good, and he's the king. And see, what's interesting is whether you find yourself on the conservative or progressive side of things, like Jesus is not fully safe to your positions, right? Like if you have a God, and if I have a God, if we have a God or a Christ or a king who 
surprisingly and amazingly agrees with everything that we say and never is challenging to us at all, then what we've done is crafted a king and a messiah in our image and not followed the one that defies all of those categories, that, that makes conservative people feel really uncomfortable and kind of like, wait, who? Who? What? How? And makes progressive people say, ah, really? That? Right? That's the king. And Judas couldn't handle that. Did Jesus love the poor? Yes. In fact, Jesus loved the poor more than Judas ever could. But Judas had an agenda. And when it didn't jive with Jesus, he rejects him. And so now we're going <clears> to <throat> we're going to move on. Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin. Right? It says they led Jesus away to the high priest. Now already this is shady. And when we talk about like the justice system and we talk about shadiness within the justice system and what it means to be just what we're saying is that a just system treats everybody the same and that when you find yourself at the mercy of the justice system of the justice department you ought to know regardless of who you are regardless of how much money you have regardless of your religious identity and affiliation that you will be treated fairly and yet time and time again we decry the injustice of the system that we live in because we see things that happen and it happens behind closed doors or it happens through smoke and mirrors or it happens out in the open but it's just not equal it's just not just and here we are with the system where they are you want to talk about how unjust the system is with Jesus they're convening at night why because everybody is asleep there's nobody there to see or to witness they want Jesus gone and they want him gone quietly. They do not want a scene. That's why they didn't nab him when he entered Jerusalem. That's why they didn't nab him when he's feeding the poor. They want Jesus to go without a scene. They don't want a martyr. They don't want an uprising. They don't want a riot or a revolution. And so they convene at night. And the scribes assembled and Peter, well, this is important, <laughs> Peter followed him at a distance. We'll come back to that. Right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. This is what's amazing. So they've convened at night. It's not just the high priest. It's the whole Sanhedrin. It's the whole ruling group. And they're there, and they're having this bogus trial. And they're trying to find testimony against him, and they can't find any. And so they're getting people to give false testimony, but even the false testimony isn't lining up with itself. Like, there is nothing on Jesus. He is absolutely innocent. And here's what one person said. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days, I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony didn't even agree on this. 
All right, so now this is very important. They're meeting at night. It's the Sanhedrin. They're trying to have a trial. Uh, they're an occupied people. So when it comes to, like, legal process, there's only so much they can do. But if they can get Jesus before Rome, Rome can finally and, and officially and, and fully end Jesus. And so listen to the nature of the testimony. The nature of the testimony isn't, he said he's the Messiah. The nature of the testimony isn't, he came against the laws of our people. <coughs> it isn't, he's opposed the scriptures. This is important because who are they? The religious leaders. They're not looking for a religious case against Jesus. They're looking to get Jesus on charges of insurrection. Because this has happened before. There have been Messiah figures that creep up. They start a little riot. They get a little people with them. They say, I'm the son of David. They go. Uh, Rome's like, yeah, bow, right? And Rome had the iron fist and Rome destroyed them. It happened time and time again. And this is what they're going for. And yet they can't find any clear evidence because Jesus never said, I'm here to overthrow Herod. I'm here to overthrow Rome and Caesar. He said, I'm bringing my father's kingdom. And so they're building up all this trial against him. And then finally, the high priest stood up and said to Jesus before everyone, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus keeps silent. He keeps silent. Jesus is on trial here. So Judas was a follower of Jesus, but only kind of. These folks are not followers of Jesus. They're opponents of Jesus. Their rejection of Jesus happened well before this trial. They see Jesus. Jesus represents a threat to their religious power. He represents a threat to their social status. He represents a threat to the ways that they have ordered society. And therefore, they want him gone. And I think also some of them actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is and they don't like that it's him. And so they're trying to prove once and for all that he's wrong, and he keeps silent. And so the high priest asks him another, better question, right? Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now here's what we have to understand. Even though son and blessed one are capitalized, they're capitalized because they're titles. And what the high priest is not asking because they wouldn't even consider to frame a question that way is, are you the son of God? The blessed one is David. The son, capital S, is the messianic figure who will take on the throne of David, the line of David. They're asking a very messianic question. Are you claiming to be the Messiah, the, the, the offspring of David, who will take over David's throne? And they finally ask the right question. And Jesus, after being silent, gives them more than what they ask for. See, here's the simple answer to this. Yes. You know what happens if Jesus says yes? They start to ask him more questions. How did you come to that conclusion? What does that mean? How are you going to take up this reign? Right? They're pressing in to get him on insurrection not blasphemy. But Jesus doesn't just say yes. Jesus says, I am. And 
you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, now Jesus says, I am. I'm that, but I'm much more than that. I'm the Son of Man from Daniel, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who has the very authority of God himself. Which is why the response is what it is. So I just want a little aside here because part of what we want to do is expose who Jesus is. And, and, and there are times when we want just a little bit of apologetic work here. And so can, just an aside, like when you come to Jesus and you look at these stories, there are a lot of people, scholarly people, uh, who will say like Jesus never claimed to be divine. He never claimed to be God. And as such, we don't have to wrestle with that question. We just have to wrestle if, with the idea of if we like the philosophy of Jesus or not. Right? But look at the response of the high priests, the trained religious leaders of the day. They know exactly what Jesus is saying. Then the high priest tore his robes. tore his robes. That's what you do when there's blasphemy, when a person has blasphemed God. And he says, why do we still need to hear witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy yourself. The high priest understands what Jesus is doing. It leaves us very little, if any, I would say no, but very little, if any, wiggle room on what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I'm not just the Messiah. I am the one, like the one one, like the eternal one. And the high priest says, blasphemy, it's too much for him. And now they've got another charge because we don't even need to hear testimony anymore. He comes to his own and his own does not receive him. Jesus is rejected by Judas, but he's also rejected now by the very religious order that he, his father, established, by the very covenant people that he was given to, by the very ones that he was their Messiah. When John says he came unto his own and they didn't receive him, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, everything that I've done has been good. Every word that I've spoken has been true. And it's come from your scriptures. And I come from your scriptures again. And I'm telling you, you didn't even understand the Messiah. The Messiah wasn't just the son of David. He was the son of man, the one like a son of man. He was God himself. You missed the gospel. The gospel was that y'all couldn't do it. We cannot do it. You cannot save yourself. You cannot create of your own volition a kingdom that is worthy of the kingdom of heaven and that will be good for all people for all time. God had to do it himself, and I am he. This is one of those moments like in Matthew when they're like, you're saying you came before Abraham? Aren't you Abraham's child? And, and Jesus says this, before Abraham was, I am. Like Jesus wasn't just mixing up tenses there and trying to send grammar nerds into a tizzy. Jesus was directly citing what God calls himself to Moses. And they tear their robes. 
time and time again, Jesus is trying to tell people, the Messiah, it's better than what you thought. Y'all want a revolution for Jerusalem. I'm finna change the world. That's my paraphrase. That's not... <laughs> you won't find that in the King James. I'll say that. <laughs> And they don't want the world to change. Do you get this? Here's another reason we reject Jesus. So number one, he's not the Messiah we want. He's not the king that we want for ourselves. He restricts us or he doesn't have as good a vision as we have. I don't know, whatever it is we think. But the second one is that our vision is just too small. So I look at this and we talk about justice and mercy a lot. And I think about it in this way. Like... Justice for my people is not enough. It's like what Dr. King said, right? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Jesus is saying, you want a king for Jerusalem, but what we need is a king for all nations. You want to reestablish the rule of David? Y'all, do you remember David? Like, remember that time when David got a woman pregnant and then had his husband murdered so that he wouldn't have to face the consequences of it? Remember that? You want that? No, I'm bringing a kingdom for all people, for all nations, for all time, and they reject it. And there is a sense in which the rejection of Judas, we can understand it had to happen. Judas was kind of always a shady one. In fact, later on, it's, the scriptures say that he was the devil. Right? So, all right. Yes. The rejection of the Sanhedrin and of the power structures and of the people, we can understand. They wanted a different king. And they didn't really want a king. They wanted power. And so they would take a different social structure in so much as it gave them power. But that's not what Jesus was proclaiming. All right, fine. It's this last one. This last one that hits home. Peter, the disciple. Peter is actually a follower of Jesus. Think about all the stories of Peter now. Let's get out of Mark for a little bit. Peter walks on water because he believes so deeply in Jesus. And yeah, his eyesight gets, and we're like, man, how'd you see the waves? I wouldn't have gotten out of that boat. Right? Like, None of, I, I assume most of us aren't Peter. Most of us are one of the other 11. Like, Peter, get back in this boat. What are you doing? Right? Peter walks on water. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter's the first one to say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter has the right answer. Peter recognizes. Peter saw, saw the uh, transfigured Christ. Peter saw it. Peter is following. When Jesus says that uh, <clears throat> that all of you will fall away. We skipped this last week, so we're coming back to it. I said we come back to it this week. He said, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter rebukes Jesus. Now, this is not the first time that Peter has rebuked Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> Peter says, No, 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 no. Even if everyone falls away, I will not. 
And then Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the end of the night. And Peter says this, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Now, let me tell you something. Peter was being 100% real with Jesus. Peter believed that. That was not lip service from Peter. How do we know? Because when they come, Peter's breaking out swords. Like, see, he said it's about to go down. It's about to go down, right? And like, Peter is not, and then when that's all happened and he gets led away, all the disciples have run away, one of them naked. Like, you know you're trying to break out when you get your clothes snatched and you're still like, I'm good, I'm just going to run. <laughs> we don't know who it was because Mark is kind. <laughs> but you know that would have been me. I'd be like, Bar- Bartholomew? <laughs> Bartholomew ran home naked. You know, like once the spirit came and we could all be cool about it again, I'd be like, yo, remember that time you ran away from Jesus naked? Right? No, Mark doesn't do that. One of them ran away naked. I'm with you. We're here. But, and, and Jesus gets led away. But who's the last there? Peter. Peter's following from a distance. Now, now Peter has no military training. But you kind of get the feeling that he's kind of like hiding behind trees and like ducking through. And like he's going to do some sort of recon thing. Peter's all the way till the end. And then he sees what's about to happen. He sees, he sees the 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 rigged nature of the trial. He sees what the priests are going for, and he realizes this isn't good. And so he's in the courtyard, and one of the high priest's maidservant is like, you were with Jesus, and he denies him. And he moves in a little closer, and she catches up with him again. Is like, no, 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 no. You were with Jesus. You were with Jesus. And he's like, No, I wasn't. And then finally, a whole bunch of people are standing with him and says, it has to be you, because, like, you're clearly from Galilee. (laughs) I don't know what regional traits they had, or if he had, like, like a Dale Earnhardt hat on that people just knew he wasn't from Jerusalem. They're like, no, you're from Galilee. I can hear it in your voice. I can see it in your dress. I can see it in your face. You, you had to be with him. And it says he curses, he swears. Right? He swears at him. It wasn't me. And then the cock crows. And he breaks down and weeps bitterly. See, the rejection of Peter is the hardest for all of us. Because we want to be people of faith. But we find ourselves in situations where being a person of faith is dangerous in many ways. Now, we don't live in a place where it's dangerous physically, where we might be imprisoned or even killed. Many of our brothers and sisters do. But we live in a place where it's, it can be dangerous socially. Socially within the church, to speak the truth of what Jesus said. Socially within our context, to speak what Jesus said and to say, I'm with Jesus. And it's easy to find ourselves denying and rejecting Jesus for fear, just like Peter. 
And though this story is about Jesus and about how Jesus would willingly be rejected so that we might be brought near to God, it's also a story about Peter. Peter, who like us, really wants to believe. Peter, like us, really wants to obey, really wants to contend for the Christ. And Peter, who like us, has a very willing spirit, but a weak, fleshly disposition. This story ends with Peter weeping. But I want to tell you that the story does not end with Peter weeping. Because Jesus, Jesus was rejected so that we could be brought near. And here's how I want to end it, because this type of rejection is different. There are some who have rejected Jesus, and what you need to do is actually just say, I believe. But for some of us, we reject, and what we need to do is here. We st- it's funny that we're in Mark, but we're starting and ending in John. Is here Jesus speaking to Peter? When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus has been rejected, falsely accused, falsely incriminated, crucified, buried, and risen. And he's eaten. And Jesus came to Simon Peter and asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. Then he asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love me, that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And John gives commentary and says that he was indicating what kind of death Peter would die. Now I want you to hear what's happening here. Jesus says the sheep will scatter. Peter says, I'll die for you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, and he does three times. And now here, Jesus comes and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? One time. For each denial. Yes, yes, yes. And he says, Peter, I will grant you the honor of doing what you said you would for me. You will die for me. He fully restores Peter. And Peter walks away with no fear, knowing that he will, and he does. He will die for the cause of Christ. We serve a God who restores even those who have rejected him. And for that, we should be grateful. And we should come to this table amazed. Let's pray.